is Dave Merritt, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour Podcast. You got two or three missing snowmobilers in a zone. Where are they? That's where our risks are, and, and that's where many of us that support the SAR teams stress a bit is we're sending in searchers. What's their skill set? Okay, we're skiing the same slopes, same aspect, same elevation. Then I just kind of realized, like, yeah, we we all need to get a little little more knowledge on this because that could have been us. Yes, we had the avalanche gear, but did we actually have the knowledge? You are tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your host, Wes Gregg. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly supported by VEASAN Avalanche Control. Safety through innovation. With additional support from 10 Barrel Brewing, Drink Beer Outside, and Interwest Insurance. Well, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I'm hoping that some of you guys are still out there enjoying some spring skiing conditions. Myself, on the other hand, my season was cut a little short. The world trying to deliver a message telling me to slow down. Managed to break my right ankle skiing. (laughs) Valuable lesson. Don't leave your toe pieces locked. Anyways. And in this episode, I sit down with a 31-year search and rescue veteran, Dave Merritt. Now, Dave wears many hats up here in northern BC. So many so that we couldn't even get to talking about all the roles that he does between search and rescue, being a field technician for the Avalanche Canada Northern Rockies team, teaching avalanche courses, coordinating and managing the BC Parks Avalanche program. Man. Where does he find the time? I thought I was busy. Anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dave Merritt. Enjoy. Oh, hey, Dave. How you doing? Good, good. How are you doing, Wes? It's uh, nice to to actually find a contact with you there and uh, have this conversation. Totally, totally. Yeah, and it's uh, one of those things. I organized it in the fall, and of course, we're... Trying to, when you try to plan out this fall far out into almost April, it makes it pretty challenging to uh, be sure that everybody's going to make it. <laughs> well, exactly, and the way this winter's been, it's 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 been a bit a bit busy, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm happy we can uh, connect and and have this chat, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we were chatting a bit before we started recording here about uh, you know how busy you are, and and that kind of brings us into let's let's figure it out. Who are you, and and what is it that you do? Well, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a pretty uh, big who am I and what do I do? Uh, you know, my name's Dave Merritt. I'm a professional member of the Canadian Avalanche Association, but that's uh, one of the hats I wear. Um, my day to day job, Monday to Friday, is uh, I'm an area supervisor for BC Parks. So my job is to uh, you know look after the land management for a bunch of areas around Prince George. But then I also wear the uh, provincial avalanche coordinator hat for bc park so i coordinate our avalanche safety program uh and then coordinate some eights uh work for the public uh, we don't do a lot of public forecasting but our job is to educate the public that you know there's stuff out there and then keep our staff safe uh, as they're traveling and working in the country uh and then i'm also a uh, i'm a member of uh, avalanche canada's uh, north rockies field team um so our job is to work with Avalanche Canada forecasters to do data collection in the field, do data verification, public outreach, uh, and just really be the eyes and the ears on the ground. And, and uh, yeah, I know we're going to talk some more about that. And that's, it's been a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool uh, job. I have a small outdoor uh, Avalanche education company, um, Outside Ventures, uh, teaching in Northern, Northern BC for 11, 12 years now. And and then the last hat is uh, 31 years as a SAR volunteer responding to winter incidents. So I didn't realize how complicated I was until I started sitting in here <laughs> thinking about some of the stuff going, wow. Uh, but they all, all the hats merge together, which is pretty cool. And everybody's supportive of it. So it, it's, it's, it makes for a fun winter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. That is uh, 
quite a big hat that you wear and it it's amazing uh, that you're able to carve out time for all of those things. And then in that, you know, we, we thank you for carving out some time for being able to talk to us uh, kind of at the end of our, our, nearing the end of our winter season. So sure. let's, let's move into where did you grow up and what did you start winter recreating mainly doing? And then that, the follow-up to that would be what's your main mode of backcountry winter travel? For sure, for sure. Well, it, it's uh, I grew up in Prince George, so it's kind of cool uh, still being able to be here. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up uh, enjoying the winter, and it'll sound funny. Um, at a very young age, we started enjoying the the outdoors in the winter, and and uh, and a sport that not doesn't happen much anymore, which is sled dog racing. So, grew to learn to love the winter, uh, and then you know I got into it uh, through search and rescue. Got a little bit more active into the backcountry skiing in the mid nineties. Uh, and then in, around that time, the logging industry up here kind of tanked. So all the forest service roads to go back after skiing weren't getting plowed. So bought a snowmobile to access snowmobile uh, skiing. And then it's just kind of, I spend 90% of my winter now on a snowmobile versus skis, uh, which is disappointing, but the, the mode of travel and the change in the technology has allowed us to, to travel further, faster, safer, then when I first got into it, I mean, I still get a few days out, like three to four days on skis, but uh, yeah, I'm, you know, we were just laughing about it with uh, one of the guys I work with Ab Canada, just the amount of, uh, you know, in four days, I think we did 250 kilometers on sleds doing field work. And, you know, it, it's, it's really changed uh, how data is collected for, uh, for, for operations like Ab Canada right now. Yeah, I bet. I bet. You know, and you, I've seen it from the recreation side. Um, if you follow Avalanche Canada, you can see that that is the, an, a quintessential tool to Avalanche Canada's program now, because you're just able to cover so much terrain so quickly. Unlike, you know, you do miss out on that kind of slow burn into the terrain, but um, you definitely get to see a lot of terrain. Well, yeah, you definitely do. And, and yet you miss a little bit of it, but, you know, as you get a little better riding the sled or, or put enough miles on it, you know, you start to feel things differently. And, and uh, yeah, some of our, our newer staff who haven't had spent a lot of time on it are really going, yeah, okay, I understand. I can now feel it. it it's not 100% the same. You're, you're definitely right in that slow burn. But then then your exposure to some of the stuff is is my exposure time is much shorter than it was on skis. So it's, it's kind of a trade-off, but you know, like I said, mm -hmm. we, we still get a lot of skiing in our, our guys and girls uh, spend a lot of hours on the skis as well. So it's uh, what we just find is, is, you know, when we're in the North, we travel. And so, you know, out of Prince George, we, we chuckle about it. If you want to go anywhere, it's two hours one way, <laughs> you know, you're two hours North, you're two hours South, you're two hours, two hours East. And, and, there's your riding zones, even your skiing zones. It's two yeah. hours. So yeah. it's, it's nice to have the sled. Cause then it's like two hours of driving turns into four hours. Then you can still put in 60 K see three different zones, three different bowls, multiple pits later. And, and you got some good data coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So then what was it that got you at a young age or in, in the later years uh, to thinking about working in the avalanche industry in a professional standpoint? Yeah, well, most of my stuff did come through the SAR world. So uh, many, many years ago, I'm going to back up to kind of my my first course, which was before the Iraq courses and uh, recreational courses in about 96. I took a course with a gentleman, uh, George Evanoff here in Prince George. Uh, great, great guy. If some people will know his name, some people won't. And we, uh, it really tweaked my interest in what the snowpack was doing. So basically from then on, it was what courses can I take? How can I improve? How do I move it forward? And then being in Northern BC, there wasn't a lot of mentorship. So I was traveling anywhere I knew a course or I could hang out with a uh, level two professional. I was doing it. And then in about 2006, I jumped into my ops one. And then from there, I just, did the same thing, got, got a hold of some guys and girls and got some good mentorship. And about, uh, 12, 2012, 2013, uh, got my level two. And then a couple years after that, my professional designation and 
yeah, just trying to keep the hours and, and keep the skill set up because there's some amazing, amazing people out there you can learn from. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So then what was the experience that you were getting throughout those years? What, um, where were you working? Were you working in a guiding perspective? Were you working more on the search and rescue side? I was definitely mainly the search and rescue side because most of the guiding operations uh, around Prince George that are here today weren't there then. So you, I would have been having to travel into the uh, into the Kootenays or like CMH or work at a ski hill. And the closest ski hill for that is Jasper. So it didn't really line up great in my world to do that. So getting some of that professional side was a bit of a struggle working with that guiding world. Um, so I spent a bit, bit of time working with some snowmobile guides to gain that knowledge. And, and I did a little bit of work with uh, some CN guys. So it was a, a hodgepodge to get the experience, in the hours for me. And it was a struggle. I, I'm not going to lie. It, uh, you know, I didn't have that operation where I was working at a ski hill every day for, for four or five years to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I mean, one of my driving forces for it was, was SAR. Um, all this other stuff was secondary because every time we go out and do a search in the wintertime, we got to have uh, somebody to do some forecasting. We got to do the snowpack analysis. And, and in Northern BC, we don't have a lot of professional members. We don't have a lot of experience at that time. It, it, it's changed in the last uh, five to 10 years. So I jumped in it basically to allow our SAR teams to respond in the wintertime. And hmm. so, yeah, it, it was a, a lot of sacrifices from my end, but I think it's paid off and, and, uh, yeah, you know, we're still doing what we do. Yeah. What, what originally brought you into the search and rescue world? Yeah, that one's, uh, yeah, you know, it is, uh, yeah, this is really going to show my age. Now I was still in high school and, uh, <laughs> I had a bunch of friends that uh, just joined and I, well, I got to check this out. I like the outdoors. Uh, you know, I love helping people and, and, uh, you know, 31 years later, I'm, I'm still, you know, you get the, okay, we're going to training. We're going to do that. Or you get a call, you get the, the little, okay. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're going, the adrenaline starts to rise and you take that deep breath and okay, get your data together. You know, what's our field team's going to look like? Who's the field teams and start setting your plan and going. So yeah, it's, it was just the, the, the want, the willingness and wanting to help people. I mean, we all make mistakes. Uh, you know, things happen to us out of the blue, whether it's a, like you say, uh, a broken bone, a blown knee, accidents happen. And uh, so we got to go out and do it. And, and yeah, that's, I don't know. I just saw, saw a lot of stuff at an early age. We've got to help people as best we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So then um, was there at the time that you joined, was there already an avalanche program or a winter rescue program in place for search and rescue up in the north? <sighs> I mean, there wasn't there wasn't like if you look at it today you know there's a lot more policies procedures steps uh you know and you need to have a level two uh to do some forecasting work you need to you know to build the avalanche safety plans you got to have the experiences uh when i started it was just in its infancy transceivers were uh you know my the first transceiver our sar team had were dual frequency transceivers that's telling you how old they are um you know you tell some of these young guys that there used to be two frequencies in north america their their eyeballs uh bug out of their head and go there was two frequencies what and so that just it, and not everybody wore it so it, it it's really shifted the culture and and over the years yeah we've we really improved and you know, when I first started, uh, I think it was about three years in, there was a pretty large fatal accident uh, east of Prince George that was on. I was on uh, doing the helping do the recovery. You know, a couple uh, young guys, bad decision, uh, unfortunately passed away, and that was kind of the catalyst in the north for us to work with our neighboring SAR teams to go, okay, what is it? How do we bump this up? And then the province moved forward with a bunch of their policies and procedures. So. When I started, no, uh, but now, yeah, now we got a pretty good program. Uh, all the SAR teams that respond winter, a uh, winter response here for searching and or recoveries in the winter work together really, really well. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's come a long ways. It's come a long ways in, in 30 years for sure. Oh, awesome. Maybe for uh, some of the listeners that aren't aware of the search and rescue program in Canada, can you give us a breakdown on, on what it looks like? Uh, throughout the whole year, but then a little bit more focus yeah. on what it looks like in the winter. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, I'm not going to get too much into you know the 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 four four two squadron, the guys at a Comox or the guys at a uh, you know the federal guys. Their main responsibility is uh, missing boaters uh, in the ocean and downed aircraft. Uh, when it comes to land and marine, that literally inland waters, sorry, uh, land and inland waters, that falls upon the RCMP or the police of jurisdiction in BC. Um, the emergency management BC owns that They're They have uh, 2,800 volunteers on 78 SAR teams, uh, around the province of BC that go out when tasked by the RCMP, BC ambulance for an injury, the coroner for a recovery, uh, department of national defense, if we need to do evacuations. Um, and, uh, we can also work with uh, the 442 uh, squadron for downed aircraft. And of that, every SAR team is 24, seven, 365. Now, not every SAR team has the capability of responding in every incidence. Uh, I'm lucky in PG and 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 where you're sitting, uh, you know, our two teams in in Williams Lake and Prince George can respond pretty much 24/7, 365, and have that capability. But not every team does. So when the page goes off, a SAR manager picks up the phone, finds out what's going on, and uh, as a SAR manager myself, we assess the call and go, "Yeah, this is going to be a." Uh, whether it's a Hetz long line, a snowmobile access, uh, or hey, you know what, we, we got to wait till daylight because it's just too dangerous for us to go into that terrain. We make those calls. Um, and then what we do, and our SAR team here is being the level two avalanche tech for most of our calls. I'm, I'm not a SAR manager, I'm boots on the ground. So we another SAR manager takes that and I, I manage the winter response. And then if it's winter based, what hurts us, as you know, is daylight. Uh, typically, we get the phone call two, three o'clock in the afternoon in December. Well, maybe a half hour daylight left. Mm-hmm. So flying is isn't an option. So that's where um, having you know getting in doing uh, pits and data. Like, can we get in there? Is it even safe for us to put searchers in? Uh, and those are the tough calls. Sometimes we're going, not, you know, no, we 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 can't respond into that zone right now. Um, because the risk is just too great, uh, you know, high hazard risk. And, you know, it's, we may have to wait till daylight or stage at a safe zone before we can roll in. And, and those are the hard calls that we end up having to make sometimes. And we don't like it, but, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's keeping our, our workers and our, our team members safe, uh, is, is part of our main priority. And then, but where we struggle, I think in, in, a bit in the avalanche world for search and rescue is, is we're always worried about avalanches and, and, and we have to be. Um, but where the risk is to uh, search and rescue people is searching an avalanche train. It's not responding to a known avalanche site because we know where it is. It's you got two or three missing snowmobilers in a zone. Where are they? That's where our risks are. And, and that's where um, many of us that support the SAR teams stress a bit is, we're sending in searchers. What's their skill set? So, mm-hmm. our, our SAR team, we're we got lots of level ones in our SAR team, and, and lots of experienced uh, uh, through the uh, through another program through the JIBC uh, team leaders that they know how to make the decisions and they funnel data back to level twos, whether it's myself or one of the other two on our SAR team to help make decisions and say, no, we're not going into that zone or we're going into this zone. So it's it's much more complicated than than people realize what goes into it to. Uh, to roll out those volunteers in the wintertime. Yeah, and I think that's something that's of interest to me there. You did use an acronym there, uh, JIBC. Oh. What 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 exactly is that acronym there? Uh, sorry, I realized that. So the, the yeah. Justice Institute of British Columbia okay. is the... Uh, uh, they teach a lot of the search and rescue courses for the province. Okay. Uh, so the uh, Emergency Management BC, EMBC has a, a contract with the Justice Institute of BC to provide search and rescue training. And, and one of those courses is uh, the Organized Avalanche Response Team Leader course. And that that is the course basically is uh, to teaching people how to travel uh, with searchers in avalanche train and then how to take that and then do data collection and bring that back and then make decisions to say, yeah, you know what? We we're okay going into here after we've talked with our avalanche safety officer, um, or we're not, and you know, come up with other options and solutions. So it's it's kind of a if you don't have a good avalanche response team leaders, then you you're you're kind of your SOL for for ground response. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good program. Yeah, it so- it sounds like a pretty amazing program. So then, um, 
for for clarification, I think sometimes people think that oh, we'll just call search and rescue, but from my understanding, um, that's not how that works. Maybe if you can give us a rundown on how how you guys get engaged in British Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, yeah. You know what? And, and you know, yeah, you, you can't call us our team direct. You, good luck trying to find a phone number; it just doesn't exist. Um, uh, we always tell somebody it's really easy to get a hold of us. It's called nine one one. You call the police uh, or, or your local 911. There's still areas in the province that don't have 911, but you call that number for your dispatch center. If it's an injury, it's going to go to BC Ambulance and then they'll page out the SAR team. If it's somebody who's lost or a spot device, so this is one thing I'll, I'll briefly spot, in reach, all those pieces. Everybody seems to be using them and they're great. We, we do love them. Um, when you hit that button, it's slightly different. It goes to a call center in Texas. They spotter in reach or Zolio all to the same. And then from that call center, they call the local detachment or E sorry, E division in BC. And then the local detachment who then calls out SAR. It only takes about 10 minutes max for all those little dots to be connected. So within 10 minutes of hitting an in reach device, SAR is usually activated. Um, and then we've got your coordinates. And if you have a two-way device, the SAR manager is probably texting you back going, Hey, Wes, uh, what's the problem? Uh, okay, you, you stubbed your toe. Great. Awesome. I think you'll be okay. Or, oh, no, it's a pretty serious spinal injury. Great. You know, and then that helps the responding teams. What gear do we need? Are we going in? How are we going in? And then, you know, yeah, hopefully it's enough daylight that we can fly in and mm -hmm. and uh, either long line the person out with uh, a long line team or ground transport if, if we have to or land the helicopter and load them in and and get out of there so the the big message i would tell anybody in in in, in canada um and even in the u.s is call soon like call early you know it's easier to stand the volunteers down than it is to call us three hours later mm -hmm. um because that could be the difference of us flying to get you or now driving and, and remember i said it's two hours out of prince george <laughs> So let's just, you know, you add the time in, we're sometimes three, three and a half hours before we get to somebody. Not because we want to, that's just the reality of it. Leaving home, getting babysitters, loading the gear, loading the trucks at the SAR Hall, and then driving. Yeah, We go as fast as we can, but we, we don't speed. We're not allowed to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny how sometimes I think the our ability to have connectivity makes us feel a little closer and yeah. it's an interesting shift that you end up with that false sense of security. And sometimes you forget that, yeah, I can get a hold of you with this in reach, but it took me three hours to drive out here. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and then, you know, I mean, if, if we, we still got to get to you, uh, you know, there's days where you're like, yeah, we can't sled in this way. We got to go now a different route. And, and so it's, yeah, it, it's challenging and, and it's challenging. Sorry. And, and the other one that has changed is because of that connectivity, I am, you know, it's, it's anecdotal information, but what I'm seeing is, is people aren't as prepared, right? When I first started doing these activities, I was prepared always to spend the night. I always had that gear. I mean, I still do just because of my background, but you know, oh, well, I got an inreach, so I'll call for help. Great. I, I'm glad you're going to use it, but hi, nice to meet you. I'm the guy coming to help you and I'm hours away. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I want to be, I'm just hours away. We haven't got into the teleportation technology yet where I just, oh, there's where he's lost and the inReach, <laughs> the inReach just pulls him out. That would solve our world. But in technology for survival kits have changed. I mean, you can get a pretty good survival kit that's the size of, you know, uh, an old cigarette package that's mm -hmm. got everything you need. To, and again, it, it's survival. There's, there's survival in the bush and then there's being comfortable in a survival situation. Yeah. And I always tell people that they go, well, you got, you got this big bag of stuff. I said, yeah, because I want to be, on the comfortable side, you know, a down pants, a small stove, you know, it, especially when we're, you know, working for whether it's Ab Canada or, or, you know, Sparks or any of the other jobs in the winter, like I'm packing that extra gear because it could just be you and me, Wes, and we're, we're three, four hours away. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 if it can just reduce our uh, discomfort level, then, then it's a little nicer night. Yeah. And uh, we, we've all had those nights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now as a, as a team leader and because you're a trainer as well, is that correct? 
Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do train. Yeah, yeah. So, do you do you find that there's a major difference between how SAR responds in the north versus like the bigger centers where perhaps they have more volunteers? It, well, I, you know, I, I think the big difference is there's, there's a few differences. Um, you know, we've got in BC some just amazing, amazing skill sets. Like, you know, I, I look at uh, kind of the Kootenai Zone, the Golden, the Revelstoke teams down there, like they're doing 100 calls in the winter, you know um some of the advantages those guys got right there is is everything's nice and close so the helicopter is gone you know you're a 15 20 minute flight like i'm not gonna do uh i, I wish i had that like i you know i'm a half hour from the helicopter and then i'm a, at least 40 minutes one way so what ends up burning us most in the winter time for our responses is just that daylight piece mm -hmm. you sit down with the pilot and say here's the coordinate here's the map and he just looks at you and says nope can't do it you know, he's, they don't like to set the machine down in the bush. Um, cause you know, especially if it's going down 20, 30 below it, it's not starting. So, mm -hmm. you know, like North shore guys, uh, the guys in the lower mainland, like they're right there. Like that's, that's huge. Uh, and, and, and the call volume, you know, those guys are doing in the lower half of the province is just, it's just crazy. Like we're 40, 40 calls a year for our star team, which is, you know, average for us, but mm -hmm. You know, what we run into is just that travel time. That's why we we harp on everybody up here. Have two-way communication, have survival gear, and help's coming, but it's not right there. Yeah. And that that's the biggest thing. I would say the skill sets, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to pick on some good friends uh, <laughs> around the province. Like, uh, you know, Revelstoke, uh, I love that team, man. Revelstoke, Golden, those guys... They've got so many avalanche professionals they can draw on and, and mountain guides to to bolster their team that that's a, I, I wish we had that. Mm -hmm. Um and, and it's 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 that that's kind of part of our issue in the north is we just don't have that uh, depth of a gene pool uh to draw from. Um you know, it they do amazing work and that's why that's why uh you know sometimes we don't hear about it, but you know, teams like that. Yeah, that's what they've got. And, and the closeness, the mountains are right there. If you spend any time in, in Golden and Revy and, and the North Shore mountains, like you're, you're in it, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, um, yeah, we're, we're two hours and we're sometimes a lot of work to get in. We don't have groomed trails. Your, your teeth are rattling out of your head in some of the zones and, <laughs> you know, but the user group is also sometimes a little different too. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's a hard one to pin down. Now, there's uh, that you're talking about. You know, when you're getting into zones, it, it kind of made me think. You know, we talked about, um, you know, the changes in in snowmobile technology and the access that people are getting. How do you? How are you guys finding navigating nowadays? Where you know these these sleds have become so powerful and so nimble that snowmobilers are now, and not to pick on snowmobilers, because I love my snowmobile as much as the next guy, but um, you're able to get into spots that were just even unheard of 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, we were, I was talking to some some old timers here, um, you know, out of Prince George that even sled in some zones for 20, 30 years, going back to, you know, the, the 583 summits, you know, and you know, oh man, this thing is the best technology in the world. It's got an inch and a quarter track and you know and they say oh yeah it would take us all day to just get over that hill and you're like really that hill that just you know i just up and over and i didn't even think about it they said yeah we had to you know it take us two days to get to this bowl because the first day was up this hill and the next day was up the next hill and you had to pack it down and and you're just the, the technology you, you can buy a sled now out of the out of the crate that puts out more horsepower than a lot of cars do weighs about 600 pounds and away you go. And and so some people are getting in trouble because they don't quite understand what they're they're sitting on. They're it they're Ferraris now. And and you know, the the technology, the change, the the uh just the I mean it's changed the sport in, in, in goods and bads. I mean, I love the new sleds, the the technology in them is just it, it's amazing. But like you say, it's what would take two, three days in the past is now. 20 minutes if you're lucky you know um these big machines the 
with the turbos and the three inch tracks, you just watch where they're going and you're just like, wow, like didn't even look like the guy was working hard. So it, the, the industry has changed, which is really, really cool. And, you know, doing a lot of work with the BC Snowwheel Federation over the years, like we're just, this, the sport is changing. Um, and it's, there's, there's quite a dichotomy happening and in Western Canada. We're all about mountain sleds where, you know, Eastern central Canada, like they've got thousands of miles of groomed trails and, it's it, it's a it's really split where 15 years ago the sled was the sled was the sled now it's not you're a mountain sled's a mountain sled and the trail sled's a trail sled and that's just how it is and yeah it, it's and then the SAR teams got to keep up with it you know out of Canada we've got to keep up with it you know got to have that sled that gets you in there and mm-hmm. you know I mean we, we laughed about it we got uh, some pretty nice new sleds there this summer uh, and we're just looking at the miles we put on them already just for our North Rockies field team and we're just going like <laughs> By the end of the season, you know, we're probably going to have 3,500K on a brand new sled that we got with zero. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. But it, it it allows us to get out there and do those activities. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've had some good sponsorships with Ab Canada to get to get, get, get the gear where we're at. So it's, it's pretty good. So, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So now, um, along with the lines of that change in technology is – access to information have you noticed a change over the last 10 15 years in recreationist behavior in the backcountry with either having more information available or perhaps taking information for granted wow that's that's huge and and it's a little bit of both so I, i'm going to uh I'm going to talk a little bit of just meaning and concentrate on us in the north here because for the longest time, uh, northern BC, we never had a forecast. Um, you know, uh, so data was like when I got into this, like there was nothing. When I started doing activities in the early 90s and, and 2000s for this zone, you, you kind of had to be making it up as you go along in the sense of you're doing all your data collection as you're out there that day there, nobody posted any forums. Uh, if there was a special avalanche warning that might be posted. Uh, and then, uh, working with Ab Canada throughout the years as a volunteer to gain experience, that sort of stuff, we moved into, uh, the mountain information network and, and then it, the Ab Canada moved into a three day a week forecast up here. And now it's a seven day a week forecast up here with a, a dedicated field team of four, so the information now is there, which, ne- like you said, never used to be there. Uh, we got good forecasting data now. Um, and and then what's also changed is, is that little thing that everybody carries with them. It's the cell phone, the data. You can get it anywhere at any time, as long as there's service. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to plug the Ave Canada, the Mountain Information Network web pages and, and the forecasted page. Like, anything a person needs is there. Um, so you should be able to get it. And I use those words. You should be able to get it. Um, because we're still finding people that don't know, or they just look at the colors, right? Oh, it's, it's a, it's a low rating. Go on green. Well, it's not no avalanche risk. It's low avalanche risk. Um, and you know, we're still struggling to educate people to, to dive into the forecast a bit, but yeah, it's, it's there now. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing some pretty cool uptake with the social media side of, of, as the field teams, like, you know, it's getting shared, people are commenting on it. So that for us is, is, is the cool piece. It's people are getting it. People are, um, using it. Is it everybody? Nah, not as much as we would like, but again, we're, you know, the North Rockies, the Northern half of the province, we've only had, you know, uh, uh, forecast going for I think four years so it's still pretty new and 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 we're still trying to get educated to people that you you need to you need to look at this whether it's the skiers or the snowmobilers or or the you know the the snowshoes uh the snowshoers like those are those are becoming the uh, a big user group that uh you know there's there's more and more people snowshoeing and avalanche train not realizing they're at risks and so you know that's mm-hmm. that's another it's how do you how do you reach them and we still run in that snowmobile community and ski community. How do we reach them? How do you know you're at risk? And and uh, I don't know. Sometimes you just shake your head and just keep preaching the message and <laughs> trying to get them to drink the Kool-Aid because, you know, I teach an avalanche course and you tell people, I said, you know, if you're riding with buddies that aren't taking this course, 
do you trust them? That person you're riding with that day could be the one that may have to save your life with a transceiver. And if you don't trust them, do you want to ride with them? So how have you found that, that shift over the last few years between um, snowmobilers versus skiers wanting to take avalanche education? Well, I, I, have basically, uh, I've switched almost uh, exclusively now to sled based courses just because, uh, we got a couple, uh, mountain guides, uh, that are doing a bit more of it in Prince George, like, uh, Craig Avanoff and, and, uh, uh, Yellowhead guide services out of Prince George. So, you know, it's not my main mode of travel anymore. I'm not a guide, so I've just stuck with, with the motorized, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, they're they're in the same boat talking with them it's the the demand is is greater than the supply some years um i probably could have run another three or four courses this winter Uh, i just couldn't find the spare time to do it Mm -hmm. um and it's the demand seems to be there the uptake is there the people want to educate but it seems like it's we're educating the people that already drank the kool-aid they're just trying to get that final piece into it. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it's coming, it's coming. The social media is helping for, for everybody, whether it's, uh, SAR teams posting about it, uh, or have Canada posting about it, newspapers posting about it. it it's coming along. Yeah. Like I know from, uh, like the, the few years here now that I've been shadowing and, and teaching AST on the mechanized side, it definitely seems like that, that shift is there and it's always super exciting you know on on the courses that i've done to see both sides of a generation to see the young kids and their parents and and um and then just some some older people and and you know what i'm sure you see the same thing i don't think a single one of them leaves that course without saying oh my god did we ever get lucky our whole life (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of that and then uh you know, you also get the uh, the guys. Uh, the, the first thing I do in the course is always a gear check, and okay, bring your gear with you. And you're like, wow, there's there's some of that stuff out there still. Hmm. Yeah, you know? they're screwing together their probes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the or the transceiver is like, you know, when that came out, that was that was great twelve years ago, and then you go and do a range test with it, and it maybe gets you half a meter to a meter. It's like, dude you shouldn't be using this, you know? Um, and then, you know, give them, uh, you should have a couple spare, uh, tracker or threes kicking around here, try this. And they go, okay, I'm going to get one of these today for tomorrow's field day. I said, okay, great. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. cause three antenna digital don't, don't even think of anything else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so now with the, you've been with the avalanche Canada field team for three years now. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. want to give us maybe a little background on how that came to fruition yeah, within I, the North? Yeah, you betcha. I mean, it, I, I, I'm going to, you know, I, I got to give kudos to Av Canada. They, uh, they, they, they've they known the North's kind of been a bit of a, a what they call a, a, a hole or a gap, right? There's just not a lot of data in there. So uh, I want to say about five years ago, they started this field program down in the Kootenays and they realized how, how great it was yet you, you got professional members out there doing the data collection and doing the outreach so then then it's expanded and, and like i said three years ago this is our third season in the north rockies we started with a crew of three of us and uh you know we we were three days a week forecast so you know hey that was great and then this season uh we brought on a fourth member of our field team and now we're uh we're five days or five days a week seven days a week forecasting um through at revelstoke with us out doing data collection and the outreach and covid's put a little hamper on the outreach but we did get up to mckenzie and do some stuff with the crews up there and and uh, yeah so i mean the cool thing is with ab canada is they're looking at it as a national program so i mean this year we brought on uh, oh god two or three field teams i'm sorry the vancouver island field mm-hmm. team Got a field team based in Smithers. Uh, we got us in the, in the North Rockies. We got the Yukon team. We got the South Rockies team. Uh, and uh, we're just kind of bringing on Newfoundland. So, I mean, you know, I, I got to give kudos to Ab Canada for, for seeing the gaps and, and bringing this model in because it works so well. And, yeah, it's it's been it's been a, 
it's been some long days, um, but you know, the, the advantage of seeing the people engage with us, we pull in the parking lot, they want to chat, they want to ask, what are we seeing? What's going on? You're out in the field, digging a pit. A lot of people will come and watch or talk to you. Um, some people still kind of give you, ah, what do you know? It's like, okay, I'm just trying to help you. And, uh, but yeah, it's really helped the forecasted world for recreational users in the North Rockies. And then we've started kind of looking at the North Rockies and we're, Blitzing a little bit into the Caribous, down towards Hundred Mile House, Barkerville, a little bit over towards uh, Valmont, just to just to support once in a while. Like do a trip in there and say, "Hey, what's going on in the snowpack?" Uh, because when you look at our our forecast zones, they're they're, they're huge. So mm-hmm. it's it's really nice for our Revelstoke forecasters to get us kind of in two different portions of the of the forecasted zone to say, "Yeah, the, that persistent weak layer is is still here," or "No, it's only on the east side or the west side." But it really helps them build a good model of what's going on in the snowpack in our zones. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's been a great uh, second, third job. And, and yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm loving the, the team is great. Like that's, that's what keeps me doing it. The Ab Canada team, the the people in Revelstoke, our, our field crews here are just they're great to work with. And yeah, yeah, they're all in it for the right reasons, which is keeps public safe. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How do you find the distances that you have to cover? Because that was one thing I always thought when you look at our region and, you know, even, even the South Columbia is this, like, they're big, big zones that you have to forecast for. It's a lot of miles between sides of the mountain range that you need to forecast on. Yeah. And, and, and really what it comes down to is uh, our, our, our crew, our, our field team will sit down and like, uh, you know, our last, my last shift, we based, decided to base it out of Prince George because the shift before they went and did the North run. So the Pine Pass, the McKenzie, the Tumbler Ridges. So they kind of did that circle. So we thought, well, this shift, let's kind of cover the lower half of the North Rockies and, and deep down into the Caribous for a day. So now the crew's heading to the kind of the other side, this shift they're they're working, you know, working McBride, Caribous and North Rockies and going to dip into uh into kind of the Belmont side so then the next shift will will go north again so we just kind of move constantly keep moving it around and and then it'll also change if we get a weather system that that goes oh yeah that may have really just dumped in the pine pass but nowhere else so we'll divert ourselves and so we spend a lot of time watching what the systems are doing um just like even last week the there's a pretty big system that slammed into the caribous but didn't hit the north rockies so that's why the shift let's let's blitz down and see what's going on in the caribous mm-hmm. because yeah let's get some data for those guys so yeah because that's the other gap is we just don't have also have a lot of weather stations um yeah. we just don't that's another piece that's where the field teams are great is we get field weather ops so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are there do you know if they're thinking of any plans of putting some more weather stations in you know it, they're expensive yeah. like we'll be and honest expensive uh, to maintain <laughs> Expensive to put in, expensive to maintain. You know, uh, we in the North Rockies have three that are Av Canada weather stations. Uh, we got one based in Kakwa Park. We have one in Renshaw Riding Zone, and we have one up in Tumbler Ridge and Core Lodge area. Um, and they're all accessed through the webpage, which is great. But MOTI, Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure, uh, and Highways, uh, they have now put all their weather stations available to the public as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a partnership. I, I, it's kind of a bit above my pay grade. I know stuff's being, being worked on, but, uh, it's, I'm hoping, but again, it's, uh, it's, it's a above my pay grade. Yeah. yeah. I don't really just... know, but I'd, I'd love it. If somebody wants to donate a bunch of stations, Hey, have Canada's looking for more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll throw it out there. So now, uh, what do you like to see from up and coming, uh, aspiring professionals in the avalanche industry? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, I, I haven't done a lot of mentoring. I, I only had a, cu- a couple of people, but I, you know, it's, it's in my world, I like to see, uh, just the dedication, the people wanting to, to do it and understanding that, you know, it's, it, it is a, I, I think one of the, the guys I learned from the best said it to me, he says, it, it's an apprenticeship program. Uh, you need to embrace that this isn't going to be something that you get overnight. You you got to get experience. And then that person who's going to sign you off is is signing their 
professional designation saying, yeah, I support Wes or I support Fred or George or, and you've got to work with them and build that relationship. Um, you know, it, cause if you don't do that, then it's, it's a, a bit of a hindrance for you. But then what it also does is, you know, I, I've worked with a few guys who said, Oh, I want to mentor with you. I said, okay, great. And I want to have my level two done in three years. And I want to, I want to, I want to, I said, well, then let's start right now working with me. You're not going to get it. Cause you're just not going to get the hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to join somebody else, go to become a ski guide, work at a ski hill. Um, but I can help you. I can assist you if you want to do it in that short of time. Um, and then get the miles, get the experience, try the different pieces. The avalanche world is so diverse. We, we think it's pretty specific, but there's a lot of different avenues, whether it's working for highways, doing forecast work for them. I mean, they have an amazing program with amazing people. Um, I've got to work with a few of those guys and, and have loved every minute of it to working for uh, some of the larger contracting companies, working for mines and highway area. Uh, transmission lines to ski hills to guiding operations whether it's a mechanized guiding operation or or a ski guide operation like the field is just uh, diversifying but the other side of it is is if you want to go to those guiding options you really need to be looking at also becoming a professional guide and whether it's a professional snowmobile guide or professional ski guide the avalanche piece is just a portion of it where people like myself are slightly bit of anomalous where that's not been my interest. I, I don't want to be a ski guide um, because for me, it, it's, it's the public safety. That's where my passion lies and keeping people safe, whether that's them going out and searching or it's just doing education or doing the Ave Canada work, or even, even the stuff with BC parks, keep my fellow employees safe. Like, um, I guess, you know, doing body recoveries over the years wears on you. You don't want to do anymore. You want to, mm-hmm. you want to prevent them. Yeah. And so that's kind of where my passion is, is I just want to, I want it to stop. If, if I don't have to do another one of those in the winter, I'm going to be ecstatic because um, they wear on you, man. They- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Um, now with that, that said, can you think of an experience in the mountains that has kind of changed the way you approach your travel, like a close call or uh, near miss, you know, yeah, I, I, we were just talking about this, uh, with a couple of people uh, just recently that there's, there's always a few little near misses. There's, uh, you know, early on, uh, in my snowmobiling career, kind of before I jumped into my ops level one and, and you know, no better yet. We snowmobiled into the zone to go skiing. Didn't think much of the avalanche pass. We we're crossing under and, and we skied for the day and we're, you're coming back out and you're like, this wasn't here. Like, five hours ago. Okay. We're skiing the same slope, same, you know, aspect, same elevation that it just kind of realized like, yeah, we, we all need to get a little, a little more knowledge on this because that could have been us. Yes. We had the avalanche gear, but did we actually have the knowledge to, to take what we were seeing and feeling to protect ourselves? And we all, you know, went back, had, had a, a beverage of choice and, and shook it off and kind of said, yeah, that was, that was a, we missed something. So let's learn. And how do we, how do we improve on that? And then just the amount of SAR calls I've done over the years have changed a lot of, you know, do I have the right people? Do I trust the right people? So that, that's also weighed in on it for me. Uh, and everybody's slightly different on it, but that, 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 that ski one, that day we were sled skiing out in the Torpy, that one, spooked me pretty good <laughs> you know there's there's you know partial burial here you know my my first year taking a course the, the instructor told me to step on the cornice i looked at him i said i don't like this idea and it's okay it's a small slope and yeah well <laughs> buried up to your waist yeah so between those two that that changed my world yeah yeah no doubt <laughs> oh man that's that's funny that was was that like your rack course that that happened yeah that yeah that was a rack course that yeah. was like it was my second my second avalanche course and yeah i knew better and i was kind of like look at the instructor but trusting the instructor and yeah 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 well, <laughs> i would never do that to a student i would never yeah i never want anybody to do that <laughs> yeah i don't think we're allowed to do that to students no <laughs> no 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 i mean and that, that's one reason i actually laugh about it people go well where do you teach your uh, your avalanche courses i say i teach it at, at, in barkerville at uh, groundhog lake because it's 
zero risk all the way up to the cabin. You can look at extreme terrain uh, or a, a challenging and complex terrain, sorry. And I don't even have to touch I, I, the steepest slope I'm on, I think is, is 12 degrees and I do everything because it's just like, you just, yeah, you don't want to, you're, you you check all your forecasts in the morning, you build your safety plan and you're going, uh, yeah, we're just going to follow this groom trail up and and that's it to the cabin. And there's good meadows right there. and We're done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's always, that's always the challenge with the ASD one course is reminding the students that this is uh, not allowed to take you in. I can show you avalanche stream. Well, and and then the other the other struggle I always have with it, and and uh, one of the guys that uh, assists me a fair bit is a level one here in Prince George. We basically say like, here's the rule, you know, this is a course, this is this is an avalanche course, this isn't a riding course. You might be a better rider than me. You probably are. I don't care. I'm a better avalanche guy than you, and that's why you're here. Yeah. And if you don't like it, let's let's you and I disagree now, and and you can you can, you can head off. And I've never had anybody go, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I'm challenging you on that. It's like, no, we're here to learn avalanche. We're learning self-rescue. We're here to look at the snowpack, understand the terrain. And yeah, by the end of the two days, their, their eyeballs usually are bugged out of their head going, like you said earlier, I can't believe we've been so lucky. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, even still, like, I bet you, I, I'm sure when I take my next training course, I'll be like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm still learning to this yeah. day. That's what I love about it. It's, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. So now what is one tool that you wouldn't go into the backcountry without? So that omitting all your standard safety things, because you said when you are surviving, you like to be comfortable. So I'm guessing there's something in there. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's more than one tool. I'm going to kind of, it's one bag. I, I got a, I got a dry bag that I pack, uh, I've got a set of down pants in there, spare down jacket, a bivy sack, and a stove in a pot. Like that goes with me. Hey, I'm teaching a course that's on a sled. I, you know, uh, I'm going for a ride 90% of the time that's on the sled. Um, because it's just, you know, the, it, whether it's skiing, I, I busted skis in the backcountry, had a bad trip out. You blow, blow a motor in the sled. Like, that that that's my key piece like i can start a fire with it i can stay warm with it we can have a little bit of food with it um dig a little snow cave i'll probably go to sleep for a couple hours yeah it's not one piece it's just it's a small little bag it does not be big but man when you pull that out and you gotta crawl in a nice down pants into a bivy sack in a snow cave yeah i'm out i'm having a good sleep yeah so. yeah exactly i guess that makes sense a little comfort a little comfort i like it I like it. Well, it's, I learned again, I learned that from uh, a gentleman on our SAR team doing training. He said, there's two types of survival. There's, oh my God, I survived the night, me lose some fingers and toes. Or I, yeah, I had a rough night, but I'm okay. Right. Like it's, and, and so when we're doing some SAR calls, I remind everybody, I said, this isn't, we're not, if I have to survive the night, I'm not going to be able to help that rescue that, that person who's injured. So take a little more than survival and be in that comfort level of survival. Yeah. No, oh, I like that. I like that. It, it, it's interesting how I, I I'm seeing the change in the last five to 10 years with, you know, we got, we got, you know, season six of this podcast, we got, we're, we're talking about this more and more as both professional members and as recreational users. And we're, 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 we're starting to see that shift where I think we're in the North, we're still climbing that apex of getting people to, to really embrace it better um you know we're i'm gonna put my av canada hat on here and just say like you know the amount of people we have out every weekend nobody's putting anything in the mountain information network uh people think oh you know i don't want to show my neighbor my 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 secret honey hole hey guess what it's not a secret <laughs> know where you ride is a secret <laughs> guys have been doing this for 40 years up here nothing's a secret um but that information, that photo of you stuck in a slope or riding deep powder, that's valuable information to the avalanche forecasters. They look at those mins daily um, for good information. Um, and you don't have to put it in the secret hidey hole. Put it in the parking lot. Like it, this zone, hey, we were riding this zone today. We're riding Yanks Peak. Put it in the parking lot. Great. Um, that that's where I'm, I'd like to see everybody start to do more is 
just put data out there. Like there's been some amazing min posts this winter, like guys saying, Hey, we had a near miss. It was awesome for us to to change that. We had some guys have a near miss and it was awesome that they shared that because then the forecasters are like, Whoa, okay. So that week later that we were talking about two days ago, it's an issue. Mm -hmm. So it, it helped forecast that zone better. And, and so, I mean, that's, I know, you know, we, we, as the field team would love to see more men's and I just don't know how we get people to drink that Kool-Aid. Like everybody will paste it, post it on Facebook, Mm -hmm. but they won't take the two minutes and build it on the men and then post the same men to the forecast or to Facebook. So yeah, we'd love to see more of that. Uh, It's, you know, and we'd love to, as SAR, like to see people using two-way communication devices and, and leaving trip plans and, yeah. And then, you know, put my other hat on with, with BC parks. We just love to see people out and enjoying it and, and staying safe. So it's all three of my hats, four hats merged together, but it's, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's a great industry. It's a great, it's great people chatting with you and hopefully next winter we'll get out and, and uh, spend some time in the snow together. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, yeah sure. we, it, it, it's, it's such a cool industry. It's so diverse. Yeah, I think I think one of the big things that I tried pushing this year as well on the courses that I was teaching is, yeah, like try to use the men as like your first stop social media post. You know, if you're, you know, you're, you want to show videos of your buddy slaying some sick pow or skiing some breakable crust, put it on. Oh, the, yeah, totally. Put it on the men. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. then put it on, on Instagram, you know, because it, to- it, it all helps. <laughs> It, oh, all it, it all helps. And, you know, I mean, you know, uh, we have TikTok now. I have Canada's got TikTok. Uh, I haven't ticked or talked. I'm or, scared. <laughs> I, I, with a face like this, uh, I'm good for radio and that's about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's 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 that social media post. And and so we're talking about pushing them in on courses. And I was teaching a course this winter and and uh, these guys were riding in the, sl- in the truck together. I said, hey, you know, like. How long till you get back home to drop him off? She says, it's two hours. I said, okay, great. Do you have a cell phone? He goes, yeah, awesome. Do you get some photos today? Yeah, awesome. You're the passenger? Yeah. Okay. Your job's to do the men. Oh, never thought of that. I said, sit in the passenger seat, do your men, and away you go. I mean, with us as the field team, we're driving out of the zone. Whoever's the passenger, they're starting to get the social media posts all ready to go. The men's ready to go. We hit service, send, done, finished. Yeah. Yeah. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah, it's a great platform. I think it's a great platform. Yeah. You know, the one thing that I think gets forgotten about, I'm always telling people about it, they forget that you can actually text in on your inReach to the forecasters. To the forecasters. I think that's invaluable because I go out quite often for multi days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always take the forecast before I leave. But when I'm out there, you know, inher- inherently things change. And uh, yeah, so I always check. You know, every morning, make sure it's oh, still totally. still where where I thought it was supposed to be, and 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 it, it that tool's also changed too because uh, one of the zones that uh, is is in the North Rockies is 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 Kakwa Park. It's a provincial park, and this it's it, you know it's, it's a super popular riding zone for kind of the Alberta Grand Prairie guys, but it, it's nowhere. Like there, the cell phone tree is hundreds of miles away. Um, so what the forecasters have done is, is, uh, at Ave Canada is they built a forecast that you can text. So they'll text you the forecast every day as to what's going on in, 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 in Kakwa park specifically for that park. Um, so it kind of builds upon what you were just saying is, is they, we have Canada looked at the inreach and said, Hey, we can get the forecast information out to you if you're out there for four or five or six days in a zone. Yeah. So it's, it's pre-built and canned for, for Kakwa park. And it's been, it's been super successful. It's a, it's a great tool that uh, the, the, the forecasters and the guys in Ad Canada put together. Yeah, no, I really dig it. I, I really dig it. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your business? <laughs> Yeah, I, I got a outside ventures, uh, is, is my, uh, Facebook, uh, company. I, I don't have too much of it out there, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, and, uh, yeah, that, that's really where, where I live is, is there it's outside ventures, all one word and, or, uh, and based out of Prince George, Northern BC and, uh, proud to be a Northern BC boy. It's, uh, 
you know, it's, uh, it's, it's fun up this neck of the woods. It's also a little sporting some days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, oh, this, I'm, I'm excited that we've been able to sit down and, and chat and I'm, I'm, I'll have to hassle, uh, my ex coworker friend, uh, Ken Gallant for giving me your name and contact information. <laughs> and he's now, he's now living the happy life of retirement. But, yeah. um, well, I was teaching with him, uh, in January in, in Belmont. So yeah, he, uh, he, he's, he just retired the day before he started teaching. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, but yeah, I super appreciate you taking the time and, uh, yeah, thanks again for, for a good chat. No, no problem. It was great. And, and, uh, you know, I just put one last plug in there, avalanche.ca, check it before you go. Like just, you know, get the information, get the training, get the knowledge, please. Awesome. Thanks. Cheers. Oh, what another great episode. I'm excited to wrap up this season of podcasting. It's been a good one this year. I want to thank Caleb for giving me the opportunity. Thank you guys, the listeners. You know, we couldn't do this without you. And if you want to do your part to help out, go on over to theavalanchehour.com and click the donate button. Even more importantly, follow us on social media for updates on new shows coming out at the Avalanche Hour podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, a big shout out to Mike T for the artwork. And in this episode, the music is provided by Age Diamante, Chakra Tonic. I dig in this one. Last but not least, we couldn't do this without our support from Beeson Avalanche Control. A 10 Barrel Brewing along with Inner West Insurance. Thank you so much for making this happen. Thank you all, and be safe out there, and have fun. Cheers. Cheers.